0: It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
2: Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. I'm your host, Derek. Joining me today, I've got what appears to be a tired Greg Smith and a sick Aaron Sorensen. How are you guys doing?
3: Uh, Aside from your uh, astute observation that I'm tired, uh, I'm very well.
2: Aaron, I'm fine,
1: just definitely caught a cold on the plate back, so we're fine.
2: (laughs) I think media days wrecked us um, is what I'm gathering from this, because I'm also tired. I slept, like, so much yesterday. Uh, We're recording this on a Thursday night. We all have stuff we have to do, so we're recording it early, but there's just so much stuff on hailvarsity.com that i can't even like single out anything because there's just so much content that we got up from big 10 media days uh greg and aaron and i as well as chris gorman from herd at and then chris schmidt from hail varsity radio we were all in chicago um sunday through tuesday for big 10 media days lots of cool stuff i just want to ask you guys first off the cuff uh, Greg, I'll start with you so we don't have one of those awkward silences where you guys are like, who's talking? Uh, takeaway, main, main, big takeaway from media days. You
3: know, after kind of sitting back and thinking about it, the thing that really stood out to me was that the coaches were the stars. And on the flip side of that, the the players didn't seem as big of a deal this year. Which and I know last year we didn't have Saquon Barkley, if I remember correctly. Um, But this year, I just don't feel like there was like who was the biggest player that was there outside of Stanley Morgan, like current bias aside. Like,
2: I mean, Trace McSorley was there.
3: Yeah, but I feel like Trace McSorley could walk into our office and people wouldn't know who he was.
2: Yeah,
0: like that's, and that's no fair.
3: offense to him. Like I just think that like I, I just don't think he's that recognizable and maybe it also has to do with the fact that I think that quarterbacks are more unknown this year in the Big Ten. But the lack of star power from the players, which I think helped to maybe make the event seem a little bit more muted, um was something that really stood out to me as I thought back
2: about it, uh after we got back home. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I mean Wisconsin's had an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Nebraska's had an offensive lineman too, like don't typically get too many offensive linemen. Aaron, what was your big takeaway?
1: I would agree with that. I think the one thing that we've seen a lot with these Big Ten coaches is they tend to not pick often. their You know, I will say this. Last year when Mike Riley made the decision to send Tanner Lee, that was probably one of the biggest players in recent years that was picked to go because, like we said, Saquon Barkley did not, did not go last year. I think sometimes what you see end up happening is coaches don't pick some of those star players because they don't really want they don't really want to distract them I'm not sure I think Nebraska by picking Mick Gerald and Stanley they picked their three seniors that have potential to be leaders in their respective positions and So I think when I looked at it, I feel like what I took away is that Nebraska picked a really well-balanced group of athletes to be there. They weren't exactly the flashiest outside of Stanley Morgan. I don't think other Big Ten writers probably understood maybe the value of Mick Stoltenberg and Gerald Foster being there, especially with everything we know about the offensive line needing to grow this season, and Mick Stoltenberg – Hopefully staying healthy through the season, and if he doesn't, you know who else is there at that nose tackle position. But those are things that Nebraska fans and Nebraska um, writers care about, so I, I get it. But I thought at least the one thing I took away is that Nebraska had a really well balanced group of athletes there, and it was sort of underappreciated, I think. But I, you gotta give, you gotta give Scott and that staff credit
3: for that you know I would I would agree with that but I would also say that for Nebraska fans I think those three choices were perfect because those are players like you mentioned that are seniors that can lend a voice to the transformation of what's been going on um, in the short time that this new staff has been here Um, and guys that you know when the fans hear from those three players in particular they're going to respect and listen to what they have to say Uh, so I thought it was a really good move as well to have those three guys be the choices
2: I I think it was interesting that Penn State brought a quarterback, Michigan State brought a quarterback, Iowa brought a quarterback, Northwestern brought a quarterback, Purdue brought two quarterbacks, shout out to Jeff Brom for doing that, that was pretty cool. Uh, Nebraska does not have a quarterback, and I don't think, I mean, nobody expected Nebraska to have a quarterback there, but when you look through the teams that, that did not have a quarterback there, they were teams that currently don't have a quarterback. Uh, and so, because of that, Scott was asked about it a lot. And he had the, the line, we've got two really good guys. Um, I have a takeaway that I haven't said, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on this first because it was something that I was thinking about. The, the we have two really good quarterbacks line is that, does he say that to make sure that people are not forgetting about Adrian Martinez or make sure that people are not counting out Tristan Jebia?
3: If I have to pick one of those two, I would have to say don't
2: forget or count out Tristan Jebbia. Well, is there another reading of that, I guess?
3: No. I think the to me the to to me the reading is is that he wants to make sure that those guys come into camp knowing that it's still an, an open competition that no one feels like they have a leg up. Um, but that wasn't the question you asked.
1: Yeah, Aaron, I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I think the more So I have been very firmly in the camp, and I will say this. I was very firmly in the camp that Tristan Jebbia was your first game starter and that maybe Adrian Martinez unseated him at some point this season. When I was saying a lot of that, it was before the whole red-shirting rule changed. And so I do think that that changes things a little bit as far as what we can expect from Adrian Martinez, especially how quickly, because now you have – an opportunity to sort of strategize as far as, like, do you put him in, see sort of how he uh, adapts to the college level right away, and if he does well, you keep him in. If he doesn't, then you're not really losing anything. So I think that changes things. But I do think it's unfair to count out Tristan Jebbia because I know Adrian Martinez is the, like, second coming of Scott Frost as a quarterback for Nebraska, but he, he still, you know – Scott said it himself. He would have should have been at prom this last you know, spring. He's still young. Tristan has had time. He's a very different quarterback than Adrian, but we know he's got an arm on him. So while I feel like what's starting to happen is it's starting to shift that Adrian is the guy because of the fact that you don't lose anything if you start him because you can still then redshirt him if you change your mind. I still think it would be unfair to count out Tristan because I don't think he's going to go down without a fight. And Mick Stoltenberg was the one who said it. You got a guy like, and I guess Stanley actually said this as well. You've got a guy like Tristan Jubia who beats the, who beats everyone to the stadium every single day to study. And is the last one out of the building. In fact, Mario Raduzco has had to tell Tristan to go, like, live his life, get out of the film room and go do things, be a college student, because he's such a workhorse when it comes to that stuff. So I wouldn't say count that out. And I think that's what Scott's saying is, yeah, he may have recruited Adrian Martinez, but that doesn't mean Tristan Jebbia is suddenly just non-existent. I think there's going to be value in this quarterback competition. And I think fans can get excited about
2: that through fall camp Hmm. we'll do uh we'll we'll talk about the quarterbacks more in a second we'll do buy or sell with them but my takeaway was everybody that i talked to knew about central florida all the players knew about central florida like everybody and and not just i mean maryland played them last year and the year before but not just maryland like wisconsin's tj edwards knew what they did last year uh dakota dixon knew what they did last year uh, I talked to one Purdue guy and he knew what they did last year. Iowa knew what they did last year. Like most of the players that I talked to were like, yeah, uh, central Florida was really good. And they did this and they did that. And it was just, it was, it was interesting to see because for us, we're like, it's hard for us to watch football, but we, we, we kept track of them because we knew why we needed to keep track of them. (laughs) But like for, for players that are so locked into what they're doing on a week-to-week basis for them to be keeping tabs or at least no base level knowledge have base level knowledge of a team that not only are they not playing but is not even in their conference i thought was pretty interesting
3: i'm pretty surprised by that like i didn't know that like Yeah, I'm stunned. I wonder, like, how they came to start to really follow the thing at Central Florida. Like, did they do that after they found out Scott Frost was coming to the conference? Or were they following it along to
2: begin with? Because I'm stunned by that. See, if I was a capital-J journalist, I would have asked when you started following Central Florida. But I did not ask, so I guess I do not get to be a capital-J journalist. But, um, yeah, I, I would have been curious about that, too. Because, you know, you could be in a situation where you're just like, Oh, crap, these guys are coming. I should probably, you know, look at what they did. Or you're like... Everybody else in Nebraska and captivated by them as they're you know throwing up 50 points and bulldozing people in their in their path. Uh, one thing that I, that I found very, very interesting, I talked to DJ Durkin uh, about playing Central Florida and about going up against that offense and the speed and all everything like that. And he told me that the defense was was a strength of that team. and he said that that front seven was one of the best that they played all of last year. Uh, and that comment kind of took me by surprise and greg you and i have talked about this because when you think about this kind of offense and especially when you talked about oregon uh, in the chip kelly era the knock on the the spread and the speed and the tempo and the 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 flashy offense is that it's not strong the knock on the teams that run that is that they're not physical and for a coach to say yeah their front seven was one of the best that we played that. That in and of itself says, yeah, they were really physical and they beat you down up front. Uh, so I, th- I found that very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna say the only the only thing I was gonna say when Durkin made that comment, you told me how he said uh, about Frost the defense. I laughed because I was like, I'm not sure if he should say that because I don't know if that like is saying more about his offense. So that was my only thing where I was kind of laughing. But we do know that um, a Frost team scores a lot of points, but they also have to defend a lot of points, so there's value in that defense as well.
2: Hey, don't be knocking Maryland right now. They had a good offense last year. They were on their third string quarterback and still had a pretty good offense. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) We're going to have Brandon drop down out of the ceiling and start hitting us with things because we're bashing Maryland right now. He he bought all of the stock in DJ Durkin. I, I'm getting a lot of hate. I'm getting a lot of Maryland hate on this end.
1: No. I, my hatred goes toward, unfortunately, Lovey Smith's Illinois team and that tie he wore, which you guys can be a big fan of. Wasn't as great. I kept saying it looked like he ran across the street to the men's warehouse and was just like, give me your most Illinois-looking tie, and that was it.
2: Okay, let's talk about looks then for a second because Lovey <laughs> Smith could have walked in Levy Smith could have walked in in the trash bag and the beard that he had could have saved True. everything and it would have that looked fine. Correct. The that, beard was heavenly. That beard was great
1: and it distracted from the tie. So
3: no, right. the, the tie accentuated the no. fabulous
2: beard. No, that's what not was, how that worked. What did the tie <laughs> end up in Brandon's power rankings? I think like fourth. Fourth or fifth? Okay. somewhere in there. I thought it was interesting that it, uh, Illinois, I was about to call him indiana illinois was the only like one of the only teams at this event that was like color coordinated and every single player had the same uh style tie on which i found weird ohio state just rolled up in like an orange and pink tie and and and, i mean just
3: (sighs) come on guys like i actually thought that was kind of cool (laughs) No. Why? Why am I always the one going the other way? I'm <laughs> off in my own little la-la land. Uh, because, because they're Ohio State. They should be able to do whatever they want. When you're the big dogs in the conference, you do what you want.
2: You know what? That is the attitude that gets you in trouble. And Ohio State was in trouble this weekend. They were so in quite a bit of trouble.
1: programs were in trouble. Like I thought about this. And let this just be a blanket statement that across the board, college sports, not just football, but college athletics, as well as professional athletics, have got to get this figured out. Because I sat down and I thought about it. Who is addressing controversies at Big Ten Media Days? You had Urban Meyer having to address the Zach Smith allegations. You had um, D'Antonio addressing so much at Michigan State. And then you had Scott addressing the Ron Brown. I mean, it just was, like, one after the other, after the other, after the other. It was, like, I kept thinking, like, is, and I would say, you know, obviously Scott addressing Ron Brown was very different than what D'Antonio and Urban Meyer, and even, like, Urban Meyer's was different because it had just broken, like, the day before. But I was just, like, what is the status of college athletics when these type of stories are, it's almost, like, it's almost so common now where it almost doesn't feel shocking where when you hear these stories, it's just like, Oh, that's another day in college athletics. So I feel like this is something the NCAA has to get figured out, but at the same time, this is sort of the cost of winning for a lot of programs. And yeah, it was just kind of like how many things is this freaking conference dealing with right now? And they should be dealt with and I'm glad reporters were asking about them but it was just kind of amazing I'm like why is this consistently happening and it should be figured out to not continue but I think everybody knows that that's the goal but it's just like why does it keep happening
3: you know to 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 echo that the Michigan state situations (laughs) plural um and Derek and I have kind of talked about this a little bit um off mic is that those to me, it feels like have been so swept under the rug. Like the when I went, I went back and actually kind of revisited some of Mark Antonio's comments um, from the uh, from his initial press conference, especially the stuff to me relating to the player that he had that got caught in the text messages or whatever, like calling his teammates the N word, like that whole situation. I feel like if that was at I don't know, insert like other major power. Around the country, like would be like front page news all over the place. Whereas he just kind of sidestepped that. Was like, yep, he's back on the team, and we're kind of letting our players decide it. Um, And then that was pretty much it. Like that's a really strange situation. I feel like Michigan State as a whole, with their various issues, just kind of seemed to be skating around like the majority of the criticism that they should be receiving.
2: Aaron, how did you feel about? uh Urban Meyer and n- not necessarily the way he handled the questions that he got, but more what he said. How did you feel about the, the answers that he gave to questions about Zach Smith and questions about whether he knew and questions about the 2015 incident? How did you feel about the answers that he gave?
1: Well, I think at first when he came out on Tuesday, he gave the answers all of us expected and... they were very PR based. It was very matter of fact. It was, you know, here's what I knew. Here's what I didn't. Here's when I knew it. Here's when I did it, all of that stuff. And I, the only thing now in hindsight is you can poke some holes in a lot of, um, in a lot of what he said, because he, 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 long story short. And I agreed with this. He kind of made a comment like, You know, the 2009 incident was not factual. He kind of turned it into a he said, she said situation, which really you don't want to do that when you're trying to when you're talking about domestic assault. Maybe don't go down the he said, she said path that that did, I understand, make quite a few Ohio State fans upset The one, though, that, like, raised a lot of eyebrows is he said he didn't know about the 2015 incident, and then a story came out, like, two hours after he was done talking that he did, in fact, know about it. And then this last fall, he was trying to get Zach Smith to actually leave by having him interview elsewhere and trying to help him get a job elsewhere. So it looked like a coach essentially trying to dump a problem without having to fire that person. And so... Those are things he's going to have to continue to answer to and have to continue to explain. And so for me, I think he came out and gave the answer all of us expected. Unfortunately, it just seems like there was a lot of, there's still a lot of questions that haven't been answered and he's going to continue to be asked about them. I mean, his fall camp is probably going to be peppered with a lot of what did you know? And why didn't you do something about it? And that's really where we're at right now. But so big 10 media days, he gave what I kind of expected. It's just unfortunate that doesn't sound like it was a hundred percent. It wasn't a hundred percent the truth.
2: Sure, um, we could probably spend a while talking about this. So yeah. I just want to move us, move us, move us forward. Let's talk about another non-Nebraska coach uh, whose, I guess, body language was dissected a little bit more than what he said, and that was Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Um, Greg, you're kind of going like ooh to me right now. You made the comment that. It looked like he was defensive. It looked like he was annoyed. A couple of people on Twitter made the same comments. I did not get that sense. How, what did talk to me about talk about his his demeanor? What I mean, what why did you think that he was defensive? Why did you think that he was looked annoyed to be there?
3: Yeah, because it was uh, basically a, the complete opposite of 180 of how he came into the conference. Um, And to me, it was immediately striking that he went from a few years ago coming in, um, talking about his dinner and time that he had the night before in Chicago with, I believe, a Mike Dicka jersey on, um, and was all full of bravado and ready to roll. And he came in um, this week and could not have, to me, seemed like, um, wanted to be there any less. Um, Those questions that he was answering, or the way he was answering them, was very short and right to the point and not really answering them, I thought. Um, Um, It was just it was bizarre. Now, to me, the best question that happened, um, and he was probably at his most offensive on this and understandably so, was when he was asked about not being able to beat Ohio State. Um, But I understand why he would be upset about that. But then again, I mean, the facts are the facts on that situation. Was that Um, the
2: 34 second question from the Michigan State writer? No, I think that might have been a different. The dude one. that was just grand state. I hate no, that, that was a, so yeah that much. was a
3: different one. That was a different question. I think it, yeah that was a totally different question. About okay,
2: here's here's my thing with with Harbaugh and the way he handled that. I wouldn't have wanted to be there either if I was him. He because because of the way that he came in, like you were describing, I think he has a much bigger target on his back in the sense that he had these he had these expectations that were built up either by him. Uh, by the program that he was taking over, or by the media. Regardless, there were these expectations that were there, and I think he hasn't finished above third in the Big Ten East. Nope. I mean, like, I think he, and I put this in my preview piece, and people were like, they're not a punching bag, but like in a sense of proverbial um, in the, 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 the media, he is a punching bag. The media likes to go at him. You're shaking your head. I if he feels like the guy that you want to poke holes at, you want to attack and just like the Michigan State guy that spent 34 seconds talking about all the the bad things that Jim Harbaugh has done and then essentially like how do you get better and Harbaugh it was just improvement leads to results which leads to success or something something stupid like that. Some like seven word answer and it was like if I was being treated like this, I would give those answers too. Like he feels like the guy that has just been under a microscope and been under barrage under siege for for three or four years now and it it, it, to me he felt like a guy that was like i know that this act has taken a toll on people outside of the program and i don't really care anymore i just want to win football games so then he should have had that
3: approach from the beginning um, in my opinion, he was, I don't think that he was a punching bag in the beginning. I think that people were hailing him as the savior of Michigan football when he first got there. No, no, no not at the beginning. I'm talking about recently. Yeah. Once the results on the field didn't match up to what his bravado kind of said that they would have. I mean,
2: he has won nine of 10 games. But he can't beat the teams on his schedule that matter. Okay. So how did we feel about Bo Pelini. <laughs> So that's how that's how we got where we got with Bo
3: outside of his behavior.
2: Aaron, do you have thoughts on Jim Harbaugh?
1: I mean, he's no longer the first year new coaching hire Darling. PJ Fleck took that last year. Now Scott Frost has it this year. But to, like I'm not saying this in like a bad way to Scott, but I could see Scott being annoyed at the podium in two years too, but not necessarily for the same reasons Jim Harbaugh is I just think there's a certain personality that does well with Big Ten media days and a certain personality that doesn't the one thing that I'll say with Scott that he does well is he knows what he's doing in the sense that it's like almost like the joke was is he is he uh getting Nebraska fans ready for the football season or is he running for governor because he knows I mean everything he said was just so perfectly like like he just like stated it so perfectly he knew his audience he really went after that he really went after his target audience in his comments but like i could see someone like scott two years down the road finding himself annoyed with big 10 media days not because of wins or losses necessarily but just because i think some people walk into that liking big 10 media you see like james franklin walks out on big 10 media day stage and it's just like hey everyone how's it going like he's just this big personality that like loves that and pat fitzgerald is one of those people as well uh kurt Ferenc, not so much scott frost i could see him being like yeah not my favorite thing so i think for jim harbaugh there's sort of different layers here and i think aside from the win loss and all of that stuff i just simply think he does not like big 10 media days and that's just what it is
2: <laughs> yeah I- I think you're exactly right, and I mean, like, you can, you can take that all the way down to his outfit when he walks out on the main stage. Like, he walks out in khakis, his game day polo, and a hat, and like, we like to give him crap about that because everybody else is in a suit, but at the same time, you can read that as, I would much rather be on a sideline coaching football or in an office looking at film or doing something that has to do with football and getting my team better than I would be here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just how he views it
1: oh yeah i would
2: agree i agree with you uh so let's do buy or sell now so we're going to i kind of have i kind of had a hot take uh but i'm gonna save it i'm not gonna give it i feel like i give a hot take on every podcast i'm gonna save it um i would like to get your guys's thoughts on a couple things first the first one will be are you buying or selling aaron we'll start with you adrian martinez starts five games this year
1: Oh, okay.
2: Which would mean he is not redshirting.
1: Okay, so I'm going to just stick to my guns. I'm going to stick to what I've been saying. I'm fine being wrong. I'm going to sell on that one. I'm going to say that Tristan Jebbia surprises during fall camp and ends up your guy. Martinez gets some experience in non-conference, but Adrian Adrian gets the experience during non-conference and that Tristan ends up being the full-time guy i could i'm totally okay being wrong so for the people who are going to come back and like attack me in four weeks totally fine i'll own that but i've been saying that jebby is the guy since january so why why back off now i'll i'll sell on that one
2: <laughs> okay so so strategically where do you see the benefit of redshirting martinez and playing De- jebbia now
1: if Martinez is not, if he is not the, if he, here's my thought process. If you feel like he has that potential to be your a, a starter for a long period of time, why not give him a season to sort of adjust to the college level? At the same time, I mean, Tristan hasn't played at a college level either, outside of practice and the scout team. But I've just been. I've just been under the impression that Tristan's not going to make this easy, and he's not going to back off. So I feel like I'm sort of, I'm I'm sort of putting my bets all in on him. Uh, I don't know exactly to to what you just asked. The benefit is in Martinez because, I mean, you've got somebody like Noah Vedral who's going to be available next year, and you're going to be adding to that competition, and then they're bringing in quarterbacks in the coming classes so this goes into like Jebbia probably looks like a guy who ultimately could transfer so there's a lot of things going against him and I'm almost talking myself out of it at this point but I'm still just going to stick with it because I've been saying it for so long I'm fine being wrong but I just feel like Jebbia's got a lot of passion and heart and we'll see if it wins out ultimately but I can also understand why people would completely disagree with me on that
2: and vedril is really the x-factor here because if you redshirt martinez you go into next season with a sophomore noah vedril who knows the offense has spent now two seasons in the offense you have a sophomore tristan Jebia who just started all of last season and you have a freshman adrian martinez who was billed as frost's hand-picked guy i just think that causes more problems but uh, greg what do you think buy or sell
3: So am I buying whether or not he starts five games? Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely 100% buying. Uh, (laughs) I (laughs)
2: thought you were going the other way.
3: (laughs) <laughs> no, you've talked to me enough about this to know that I believe that Adrian Martinez is your starter now, and two years into the future, I think that Adrian Martinez is the future of this team. Um, and I don't think that there's any reason to delay that. I don't think that there's no. Be- I don't think there's any benefit um, to redshirting him and letting him gain experience because the experience factor right now between him and Jebbia is really pretty small. Um, it is a little odd that you would have a true freshman starter that did not play in his senior year. And And if that does come to pass, that's going to be a big storyline, I think, um, because it will be very strange. Um, But I think it's time to just go ahead and give Adrian Martinez the keys to the kingdom now.
2: Aaron, do you have a retort?
1: No, I mean, I can completely see that. My only question for you, Greg, though, is you said that Martinez is the future, but what happens when Federal becomes available next year and then... Not saying that he, Martinez shouldn't start this season anyway, but they're going to have a they're going to have a lot to sort through because then you're getting in. I mean, obviously, someone like Luke McCaffrey is going to probably redshirt when he gets to Nebraska, and then you've got some time on that. But I'm almost more interested at this point in what's going to happen next season than what's going to happen this season. I'm just like keeping my bias because I've been saying that Javy is going to be the guy for so long that I might as well just stick to this. But. I'm just curious what happens when federal becomes available.
3: I think at that point you have a quality backup to Adrian Martinez because yeah. you always will need a quality backup when you run an offense like this in which your quarterback can get dinged up.
2: Yeah, he's. Uh, he, I think him, if he had gotten the waiver to play this year, which it sounded like they didn't even apply for, but if he had gotten it, he would have played. He would have started, I think. I think he definitely would have started the majority of the season. But have, have, not having that waiver, I feel like Noah could turn out to be one of those extension of the coaching staff guys who is around for helping his teammates, being a good locker room guy, and being a good backup, like Greg said. I, I, I'm with Greg on this. I think Adrian is the future. I think whoever wins this job ultimately is going to be your next four-year starter. And I think Adrian has a higher ceiling because of the the dual-threat ability in this offense. I just don't see the benefit in kicking the can down the road another season. Because if, if you go with Jebbia and you redshirt Martinez, then you get into next year where... You've got a Vedral who can play, you've got Jebia, you've got Adrian Martinez, and you've got to make some hard decisions. I just think if you have Martinez with a year of experience, and this is something I'm gonna use a Bob Diaco quote, but oh, no. there's nothing there's nothing more valuable than in-game experience. And that I mean you can you can learn on the sideline, you can learn on the scout team as a red shirt you can have all of those things but there's nothing more valuable than being on the field being in a third and long in the big house against one of the best defenses in the country having to beat the crowd and having to get that first down like you're just not going to get that redshirting and if you, he if he has that in year 1 and he has the time to just grow with everybody else in year 1 year 2 you can start to talk about some things it's just it's is the way i look at it
1: No, and see now I'm like talking myself out of my my thoughts, but I just (laughs) we're winning. We are, but I don't
3: know that you should completely discount it because I think that there's okay. So
1: what happens? I'm I'm still sticking with Tristan because I just feel like there's a I like I feel like what's happened in the last like few months is it went from before the spring game everyone was like Adrian Martinez probably will red shirt maybe won't but Tristan's definitely your guy to watch. And then somewhere around the spring game, it completely switched to Tristan is definitely not playing the season. It's entirely Adrian Martinez, which I just having talked with Mario Reduzco in his office and watched film with him, I am not completely sold that they start Adrian Martinez this whole season. I just am not. And I, you know, he he could be the guy, and there's a really good chance that he could be, but I feel like we shouldn't discredit and write off Tristan Jebbia just yet. And I will say this, though. I will put my money on this. If Adrian Martinez is your starter this year, he goes in, he starts, he goes the whole season, I end up being completely wrong, Tristan Jebbia transfers next spring.
3: Which would then be, it's in my in the scenario that I've thought about way too much, that would be okay, no disrespect to Tristan, if they if he doesn't do it this year. If he waits until next year and then Vedral is eligible, um, you've got a guy like Matt Masker that's been in a program for a year that can be down the line as well. You would have Luke McCaffrey coming into the program. Like, I think that they would be okay in that scenario. The Doomsday scenario is they announce the starting quarterback a week before the first game like Scott Frost said he wants to do, and then Tristan Jebby decides to leave right then. That would be the big problem.
2: I don't see him doing that. And I don't
3: either.
1: Here's my thing, though, Greg. You are right. To a certain degree, I think that they're playing this out because they don't want Tristan to transfer. I think that's a really real thing that they probably thought about from the moment that they came in. And I just don't want to think that the only reason that they're not naming a starter is because they're trying to keep him around for depth. Because that's kind of a, like... I mean, that's the reality of college football sometimes in some scenarios, but you'd hope that that's not the case because, gosh, that would just suck to think like, hey, we're just trying to keep you here because we really don't – we can't afford to not have you here. Um, So If that's the case, I do think Tristan Jebbia, no matter what, is going to see the field. Even if he's not necessarily the starter, I I could see him – the way I had originally before the whole redshirt thing happened, the way I had said it was going to happen – was that he was going to come in and be your, your initial starter in the season and that Adrian would eventually unseat him and take over, like probably by conference play was sort of how I looked at it. But now that you get the four redshirt games or the four games and still be able to redshirt, that sort of changes the like strategy with that. So it changed my opinion. So even like in my case, when I'm saying I think Tristan could be your guy, it's even hard for me to like really like, own that and feel good about it because the reality is there's there's really nothing to lose with starting adrian and at that point if he does well against troy and akron and colorado like you're keeping him in, in big ten play
2: we're converting aaron to our side I, I i was i was in your camp aaron as well before the redshirt wool came in i thought jebbio would be the guy Uh, that initially starts but adrian eventually takes over but with the i i kind of walked myself out of that even before the red shirt rule because i just like i don't see the value like i said kicking the can like just just do it now like just get like he's the quarterback of the future and i think he is just do it now and the the reason you you had brought up how like around the spring game the the narrative kind of shifted to where okay adrian is the guy now 200 total yards and four touchdowns and diving over the pylon and, and flashing finger guns at people. Like, that'll do that. Like, he looked really, really good for somebody that hadn't thrown a football in a in a live-action game in a long time. Do you have anything to add, Craig? You're very quiet today.
3: <laughs> I'm not quiet. I'm just – I have um, very well, I think, convinced and brought Aaron over to our side. <laughs> no,
1: um, I'm not fully, I think that if you I add on so top
3: like- – Go ahead, Aaron.
1: No, I was just saying I'm. I'm gonna just stick to my guns because at this point, I might as well just go down in a blaze of glory. Like it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this needs to be in the podcast, but I'm about to tag you in something, and it's going to make your day. Where is it? Uh-oh. Oh my god! Oh. <gasps> <gasps> Sorry, guys. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life, and I have to, like, share it right now. I
2: can't wait to see it. Uh, is it coming through Slack yeah, or on Twitter? I just,
1: I just tweeted it at you.
2: Oh, Baker Mayfield got a puppy.
1: No, it's named Barker Mayfield. It's up for adoption. It's not his dog, but they named it Barker Mayfield.
3: <laughs> oh. That's great.
1: Ah, oh, see, always been considered the underdog. She's looking for her forever home in Cleveland. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> this has gone oh. off the rails. <laughs> oh, it's a off
1: puppy. Okay, oh, let's... Uh, of of <laughs> I, th-
2: I think we might have lost Aaron, but let's try to rein it back in and get back to some football talk. If you, yeah. I'm going to ask you to give me one coach that you were most impressed with at Big Ten Media Days, and you cannot say Scott Frost, and Greg, you cannot say Tom Allen from Indiana. Come on, man. Okay, fine. You cannot say Lovey Smith. Aaron, would you like to start, or would you like to defer to Greg? Because I think Greg has his already picked out. Uh,
1: the one I was probably most impressed by would be Pat Fitzgerald.
2: Are you convinced that Patty because Fisher is Fitzgerald's son?
1: No. But what Pat Fitzgerald did to impress me, I should probably add that, is one, he was, he was handles the podium stuff so well. But then at the like breakout sessions, he's really engaging to talk to. But there's a moment that I watched in the hallway before the coaches came up to take their group photos. And he was the one Big Ten coach that was actively trying to talk to Scott Frost. And Scott was kind of like, doing that thing where he's got, like, one foot leaned against the wall, and he's trying to, like, not talk to anyone, but, like, Pavitz-Gerald was like, I'm gonna, like, befriend this guy, and I'm gonna make him feel welcome, and you could just tell he was, like, genuinely trying to, like, make Scott feel welcome in the Big Ten, and welcome with that group of a lot of big personalities, so I was impressed by him. I thought he was one, he did really well podium breakout sessions, but then I thought that was kind of cool how he was really trying to be the, like, Welcome to the team coach in the hallway.
2: I will tell you exactly why Pat Fitzgerald did that. And I will tell you exactly why Urban Meyer just randomly brought up Scott Frost and his quarterbacks. And I will tell you why P.J. Fleck was so nice about Scott Frost. They're terrified of him. Threw down the gauntlet. They're terrified of getting just bulldozed by him in three years. So they're trying to get on his good side now.
1: I just think Pat Fitzgerald was being nice in that sense. Like It just felt like someone just sincerely being nice.
2: I think they're definitely being nice because I did like when PJ was talking about him, I was like, Man, this is so nice. He talked about the Gentlemen's League and all that and how none of the coaches have been mean to him. You're definitely right that, that guys are just being nice. But I think subconsciously these dudes are terrified of Scott Frost and what he's what he can bring to Nebraska. And I wouldn't have been as confident in that until we got there and Scott talked and then all of the national media was just falling over themselves over Scott. And that that was that was reinforcement to just this notion that they're terrified of him, and they're going to be and then when he said, "You better get us now because you're not going to get us later," like I mean, good Lord, Greg, Tom Allen, your coach
3: Tom Allen is my coach. Um, for those of you who don't know i've I've officially committed to Indiana. <laughs> um i would i would run through a wall for tom allen because he had the greatest line uh, of big Ten media days and he said before there is a reality there is a mentality which i thought was great um but i also (laughs) that's such a great football coach line you're looking like it's not
2: no that's really good
3: Okay, so no, but I think that also for a guy that whose football team is not very good, he seemed like he had a good control um, of what was going on with his situation. He also didn't feel like he had any pressure because he has a plan
2: um, and he's ready to go. I really like Tom Al. He looks like he has never left the gym, while also never spending a second on his legs. Like he looks huge up top. <laughs> so he definitely skips leg day. <laughs> I think the coach that I was most impressed with was probably PJ Fleck. And like, I got flack on Twitter for it, and like, you're giving me side eye right now, but like, I like PJ Fleck. Like, he made the comment, this is not year one, or like, this is not year two. Like, this is your last year was year zero, and this is year one. And like he doesn't have anything. Like he came into a team that wasn't very good, but also had some pieces, and then was going to lose some pieces right away. Like he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't have anything that would lead you to believe that he could be successful this season. So like you're going to get those people at the end of the year when they go four and eight that are going to be like PJ Fleck needs to leave. And it's like he. I think he's a good coach, and he understands. And I just
1: roll that boat roll right out of here.
2: The boat, row the dang boat. I like the suit game. I like how energetic and enthusiastic he is. I like that he is like so willing to give us good quotes and sit there and talk with us. I like that. I think he's a good coach. Like, he, he won 13 games at Western Michigan.
1: Scott Frost won 12 at UCF.
2: Yeah, and we and we have said, and PJ had the comment. He's like, Scott did something at Central Florida where he, he built that. And took it to heights that it, a, shouldn't be at realistically, and b, has only really ever dreamed of being. They were thirteen and zero. They were in conversation for the college football playoff. You haven't seen a group of five school do that. Not even Western Michigan when P.J. Fleck was there. But P.J. did flip that team around from one and eleven to twelve and 13 and zero, and then they lost in the bowl game. I think. But I mean, he's a good. He's he's, a year removed from that. Like, I think he's a good coach. I, I, I don't think we have reached the point where we can just write him off after one year at Minnesota and say, yeah, he's a bad coach. He needs to go somewhere else. I, I definitely think you can get into situations where coaches uh, can be the next big thing and they can get into a situation that's just not a good situation for them. And then they can move on. Like, I look at what Charlie Strong did at Texas. He should have stayed and that team would have been better. And they canned him early because they wanted immediate results. Maybe P.J. Fleck is in a similar situation in Minnesota. But I just think he's he's a – I think he can be successful. And I know a lot of people here are going to hate that just because of what happened to Nebraska last season at Minnesota's hand. But I can guarantee you that's not going to happen again. Scott would kill somebody if it does. Uh, but I just think P.J. is a good head coach at a Power 5 team. You disagree, Greg?
3: It's only partially – So I agree with you that he's a good football coach. But I don't think he's going to sink or swim on whether or not he can actually coach X's and O's. It's whether or not he can get people or enough people to buy into all of his different mantras and how he goes about his work. Um, I think that that's why he's either really hit or miss on the recruiting trail. Either kids really, really like him. Or they don't at all and find him to be hokey right and I think that you, if he can find enough people that can buy into that then I think that he will have reasonable success because I do agree with you that he's a good coach X's and O's wise but I also do agree with you that with the media he's very good and I don't know if that's because he hasn't had a lot of success at Minnesota typically at media days the coaches that have not done very well are usually a little bit more friendly the coaches that are really big deals aren't as friendly and the coaches that have are comfortable and where they are, D'Antonio, Kirk Behrens, are usually not very nice to the media, right? So it's usually the guys that need to sell something, like P.J. Fleck, um, like Tom Allen, Lovey Smith, for the most part, um, that are really nice to the media. So it's just whether or not he can get people to buy in. For me, I'm just kind of over his act already,
2: though he was nice to all of us at Big to Media Days. Hmm. Interesting. It's funny that like you're like, I'm over Jim Harbaugh's act, and I'm like, there was reason for him not being nice. And then I'm like, "Go, PJ," and you're like, "I'm over the act."
3: Maybe I'm I'm just over both of them, I suppose. Because I liked Harbaugh too when he first came
2: into the conference. Full disclosure.
1: I'm just over you all.
2: Uh, we can tell. What do you got going on this week? While what's what's coming up-, up from Aaron's notebook? Sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, we're no. You're fine. We're finishing up uh, all the Big Ten media days. Still have tons of stuff to get through and a lot of content. In that regard, getting ready for fall camp to kick off, which for people keeping the countdown at home, is next Thursday. And that's essentially the start of football season. So really just getting ready for all of that, which I'm really excited about. And, I mean, obviously at this point, football is going to be here before we know it. So settle in and buckle up.
2: (laughs) Greg, what do you got coming? Football content.
1: Well, that's good.
2: Is it just content or is it hashtag content? Oh, it's always hashtag content. And only the best from Gregors. <laughs> Gregors, <laughs> yes. Sure. At least I'm not calling you G-Reg anymore. <laughs> that is true. That's an improvement. Gregors <laughs> is an improvement. <laughs> Those are bad times. Um, we are going to close it out, but before we do, I want one hot take from each of you. It can be Nebraska goes 10-2 and two this season and... All the things that we've talked about are wrong. It can be Scott Frost gets fired. It can be whatever you want to whatever you want to make it. My heart.
1: <laughs> uh, my hot my hot take I already said, Tristan Jebby is your starting quarterback. That seems to be the hot take now, so I'll just stick with it. Sign me up, that's what it is. Hot take. Okay. Just set the stadium on fire.
3: <laughs> okay. I do have one that Scott Frost related. It is definitely not that he's oh. going to be fired. Um, but it'll be so as, as well received as Scott Frost was this past week at Big Ten Media Days in two years, it will be the exact opposite, but not because of like Jim Harbaugh that he's feeling the hot seat. It's because they've been successful and he's going to let it be known that he does not want to be there. Scott Frost didn't want to be there this week, and it's year one. Um, So I can't imagine what that's going to be like once they have some success. I think they're going to have success quickly, and I think the narrative will shift around him, and he'll be viewed more like Urban Meyer and that type of a standoffish in that type of setting um, than he was this week as everybody wants to go talk to him because they want
2: the hot story. Hmm. Mine, The last one that I made was that Nebraska was not going to lose in a single game this season by more than 20 points. That includes Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State and Michigan.
1: You said, uh, why did you have to say that out loud? Urban Meyer has now heard you and knows, and now he's going to cause pain. Like, why did you Urban have to Meyer,
2: say that? Urban Meyer has plenty of issues that he needs to worry about. He's not listening to our podcast. That's uh,
3: what he does in his downtime.
2: <laughs> Just imagining Urban sitting at his kitchen table eating pizza by himself listening to this podcast. (laughs) Sad dominoes. (laughs)
3: Um,
2: My hot take, I guess, will just kind of roll along the same lines. Nebraska has a top 50 defense this year. Because I was already already feeling pretty good about Eric Chenander and what they're building on defense and the guys that they have over there. And I was feeling pretty good about the talent that they had coming back from last season. But just hearing DJ Durkin talk about the defense, I feel good about that. Best wishes. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we're going to wrap it up on that note. We will be back next week uh, on Friday, a day after Nebraska kicks off fall camp. We'll probably have a few things to talk about. Um, Until then, keep it with HailVarsity.com. We'll have plenty of content up in the meantime. And that's it. Yep. Thanks, guys, for listening. Bye.